On this program series, the Bridge Radio will be focusing on working together in political activism groups with different positions and privileges given to individuals by the nation state. This program will try to focus on ways to heal, dismantle, dissolve, and to decolonize privilege, white supremacy, racism, sexism, and discrimination in activism spaces. The ignorance and the privileges of nation states aims to destabilize and strikes everywhere in our society today, which has everything to do with a dominant colonial culture. This colonial culture even appears in groups that aim to work in anti-fascist and anti-racist ways. This program intends to articulate, to discuss and to find ways to navigate around these privileges and working together. Decolonizing our minds on racism, fascism, sexism and discrimination is an everyday practice. You do not break it once, but it's a process of an everyday life. Because we have grown up in racist, discriminative society structures that intend to divide us. So how can we attempt to navigate privilege? How do we work together in subversive ways? How do we break existing power structures in ways that takes intersectionality into account? In this program, Syria, where the Bridge Radio will be guesting FSK, you'll be hearing reflections on challenges of working together from many people from migrants and women political groups and spaces, where this colonial mindset sometimes and often is present. We hope by putting a focus on this issue of working together across different nation-state privileges that we can help activists and individuals become aware of our different positions of privilege, along with finding a sustainable, suitable way to coexist in social and activism spaces. The Bridge Radio. to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution, no, the revolution will, not revolution will not be televised. Here again today we are at Bridge Radio and I'm your host, one of your hosts today, Steve. Together with Nana, we are sending here with a bridge radio from FSK. And uh, today we are going to be focusing on 
working together intersectionality in our like our previous programs and finding means to coexist in common social spaces activism spaces and taking one another's struggles into account and just to give a little background the bridge radio is a community radio that started in copenhagen Um, it's a radio consisting of migrants and non-migrants who, produ- who produce radio about the border regime, about migrant struggles and for people's movements. Um, and for this Syria, we have been hosting the FSK and sending a program Syria about working together in decolonial ways. Yeah, we've also brought you the programs, protest, um, conference topics, discussions that has focused on uh, decolonization, decolonizing ourselves, decolonizing activist groups, decolonizing um, societies, decolonizing government. So all today we are going to continue in that conversation of decolonization and also intersectionality, most especially how these things intersect between and how why we should get a better understanding. And then we will talk a little bit also Uh, about um, discrimination, racism. So today, the first uh, our first um, interview, uh, our first um, interview is going to be an introduction of Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, who was um, the professor who coined the term intersectionality. And then we will we've made an interview with uh, Leslie Ann Brown. Brown, who's a writer, educator, and activist which you based also in Copenhagen, hear, which, which you you'll also. hear later during this program. But before we continue, we'll just play the rest of the song, The Revolution Won't Be Televised, with Jill Heron-Scott. And women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Yeah, the revolution will be live and we're trying somehow in any way we can to bring this revolution live to you from Bridge Radio. And uh, before we go on to talk about intersectionality, how we somehow came across this world, we are going to talk about a little bit why we chose um, the professor, Mrs. Kimberley's definition or her definition of intersectionality and how these things um intersect and in many ways we also being part of activist groups societies communities we also see different ways of discrimination um patriarchy involvement of simply discrimination that we cannot find ways to describe so we have chosen a little bit of this 
um, word intersectionality to explain or to give it a name of what we face in these groups. So what you'll be hearing is also going to be an explanation. First, we'll play you a short clip, and then we'll bring in a longer clip to explain it more broader. Yeah, so like uh, Steve just said, this clip you'll be hearing is by, it's who you'll hear talking, is Kimberly Greenshaw, who is the professor who coined the term intersectionality. Well, um, I have to practice my elevator version of it, but intersectionality is basically the idea that um, we experience life, sometimes discrimination, sometimes um, benefits, based on um, a number of different identities that, that we have. Um, so uh, the, the, the basic term came out of a case where I was looking at black women who were being discriminated against, not just as black people, not just as women, but as black women. So intersectionality was basically a metaphor to say, well, they've got race discrimination that they're facing coming from one direction. They've got gender discrimination coming from another direction, and they're colliding in their lives in ways that we don't really anticipate and understand. So intersectionality is basically meant to help people think about the fact that discrimination can happen on, a, on the basis of several different factors at the same time. We need to have a language and ability to see it in order to address it. So that was the short clip we were talking about just earlier now. And but we'll be bringing a longer version of this where she also explains it much broader because for us we also really believe that there are different ways in which this intersectionality is not understood so we'll be going deeper into this discussion today so let's play the second one so what is intersectional feminism and why is it important well we've been talking about women and power um, against the backdrop of women's political participation. And there's so much excitement now um, that we have to really think about what do we know about women and political participation um, historically? What are some of the lessons that we might learn from it? Well, let's think a minute about the struggle for women's political power right here in the United States. Um, in about 15, 20 years, we're going to celebrate the centennial of women's right to vote. And knowing as I do how we in America like to celebrate things like anything that happened here was the greatest thing that ever happened in the world, <laughs> I can imagine how excited everybody's gonna be. But here's the question. When do I, as an African-American woman, get to celebrate my entry into the political community? In reality, I've got to wait another 40 years to celebrate because the situation was that giving blacks to vote did not empower blacks who were women. And giving women the right to vote did not empower women who were black. So this, quite simply, is what I call structural intersectionality, the collision of two overlapping dynamics of oppression. Patriarchy reared its head during the debate over the 15th Amendment. It was the Negro's hour, they said. Right? So the Negro's hour apparently meant that it was not Negro women's hour, it was Negro men's hour. Well, what happened when the women's hour came to vote some 30 years later? By that time, blacks had been so thoroughly disenfranchised that black women won nothing when women won the right to vote. Now, you're not gonna read this story in our history books, and it certainly isn't part of our political culture. We celebrate women's enfranchisement and the women who led the struggle as though it's an unabashed victory for women. The fact that a whole lot of women were left at the station 
falls from our consciousness, as does the racial strategy that the suffragettes followed to win the vote for women. In fact, one of the main arguments for women's suffrage was that it would help shore up white supremacy. Women, it was argued, would be the helpmates to maintain the American way of life against lower order citizens and all these immigrants. Adding millions of white women voters to the rolls would ensure that democracy would survive. It was not an accidental argument, nor an isolated one. Now, I don't want this to be a one-sided critique um, because African-American men weren't any better on the question of whether black women should get the right to vote. Uh, his basic sense was that they were better off left disenfranchised with friends like these. Need I say more? So what's the moral of this story? Why is this important? I mean, you might say, come on, um, this is ancient history. What does it have to do with contemporary politics? Well, let's ask a couple questions. What might have happened had enfranchisement truly been universal? If women's power wasn't seen and celebrated as white women's power, if enfranchising the slaves had not been seen as enfranchising the men, if feminism had been seen early on as incorporating all women, black and immigrant, native and Asian, if anti-racism had been seen as incorporating all people of color, men as well as women, what might have happened and where would our culture be now if the fight against patriarchy and the fight against white supremacy had not become alien to each other? And if the women who were subject to both had been centered rather than marginalized in these struggles? We can barely imagine how political life might be different in the here and now. So that was a um, Crenshaw. Crenshaw. That was her explanation of intersectionality, trying to find a face or a way to describe the problems in which we have both in societies, communities, and how we somehow do not realize or become allies to the same problems that we are trying to solve. So in this means, she has been talking about, she's both a feminist and an educator, and I, she has been talking about women's struggle. But during the, our review of intersectionality, in our own participation, in the way we participate in our everyday life, we also have articulated how this somehow affects us in a different way, both as men in, in the group of women and migrants um, and other Muslims and so on, the, the various kind of uh, categories we have in societies today. We have also find means to use that to describe how we have, uh, uh, how we have experienced intersectionality differently in our everyday life. And the reason for us, like we found it important to focus on this also in this program that deals with working together is that um, we see it important to look at in groups where we work against oppression to not look at oppression in like in a singularity so it's not only one type of oppression but being aware and seeing um, the way that different levels of oppression overlap exactly. which is something that happens uh, a lot which of course is also 
present in different uh, activist groups and also activist groups where people have very different privileges, for instance, where some have citizenship and some don't. Like in this case, if it would be Germany, German citizenship and some don't. So I think it's a very... Um, I also just want to bring up again this point that, that uh, Kimberly Crenshaw mentions in the end, that how would um, organizing political life look if the fight against racism and the fight against patriarchy has not ha, didn't hadn't become alien to each other, but like as a united fight. So it's also like a, a way of uniting through difference, but seeing the different levels of oppression that different positions experience and also where it's for some people it's could be doubled because it's even overlapping. Yeah, yeah, that's also bring into the question where we talk about migration today. It will be very important for us to also remember that, as my colleague Eliel mentioned, a lot of us with citizenship who belong to the national state, um, many of us do not, in some cases, see the re reproduction of um, either oppression in, in these migration groups that we are involved in. Uh, we have so many of the times have become allied with um, the state quote and its way of being. Even though we are trying to fight against it, we have to be aware what our fight is. So one of that is one of the things we are going to be talking about today. As we said earlier, we're going to be talking, we're going to be playing an interview we had with Leslie. And uh, we'll be also be talking about how intersectionality actually collide. But before that, we'll be playing you a song from Brenda Farsi. Brenda Farsi is a South African musician who was also fighting against the appetite in um, uh, South Africa back in the days. And uh, she's an Afro-pop singer, also was regarded as African Madonna, uh, Madonna back in the days. So you'll be hearing this beautiful song from her and um, see you in a minute, in a few minutes. <laughs> Oh, 
Yeah, that was Brandy Fassi. And um, we are back again in the studio. And this is Bridge Radio, sending live from FSK. And um, you're listening to one of our programs focusing on intersectionality and how it happens. So now we are going to be playing um, an interview we had with Leslie Brown. She's a writer, an educator, and an activist, now based in Copenhagen. And um, she was also born in Brooklyn to migrant family, also migrant parents from Trinidad and Tobago. We made an interview with her about intersectionality as well and how she has experienced it and what her experience about it and her opinion about it is. And um, we and asked... So, yeah. And also, Leslie Ann Brown is one of, was one of the organizers of Women's March in Copenhagen 2017. So we wanted to ask her about this because we think she's also one of the very um, wise people and with a lot of experience in Copenhagen. So we want to wanted to hear her reflections on this. Yeah, so it was uh, a privilege to also have her and uh, in this program and have her in, uh, have an interview with us. So we'll be playing some versions of her interview, and within this interview, we're also going to be bringing you some music to smoothen it out. So we would not have a very bored interview or a very bored program. So. Here comes the her first interview. My name is Leslie Ann Brown, and I'm a writer and a teacher, educator, and an activist. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, and I have lived in Copenhagen for the past 19 years. Mm. And my book, Decolonial Daughter, Letters from a Black Woman yeah. to Her European Son, one of the themes that I am um, really exploring in my life right now is that of actual, uh, actually a radical healing yeah. of uh, people and of the earth. That's uh, my focus now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. So perhaps, as you said, you are both an activist, um, a writer, and just told us the name of your book. Today, our, one, our topic would also be focusing more on like activism, um, right. how to work together, how to heal, how to take care of mm. each other, and how to understand each other's different struggles in order to also look out for one another. So, mm-hmm. And somehow we found um, a word for this, explaining different positions, but different um, privileges and understanding these different, quote, privileges, and mm. both from the oppressed and both from the the oppressor. Um, mm. Somehow we found a word to define it as inter, uh, intersectionality so that we can right. be able to understand different this different intersectionality that somehow mm-hmm. engages between, that we do not mm-hmm. somehow see or acknowledge, which actually finally cons- causes a lot of conflict or even discrimination against one another. Can you, under- right. can you explain a little bit your understanding about intersectionality or how you experienced it? The whole concept of intersectionality was, um, it came up with uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, and I learned about it for the first time, actually, at the Woman of Color panel that Mm. we hailed a few years ago. I don't know if you remember that. And if I um, understand it correctly, it has to do with um, these uh, meeting points uh, where people have 
oppressions in common, so where they intersect. Mm. So as a black woman, for example, um, you know, there are certain oppressions that uh, I am more, more, more likely to experience and have in common with other black women, but also I might share some of my oppressions with white women, but it may not necessarily all the way be the same type of oppressions, or mm. even with other black women who come from a different social economic class than I. Yeah. And um, so it's, uh, it has to do with, um, you know, the hierarchical structure and how that impacts actually our oppressions and how it's um, acted out and how it's experienced. Hmm. Talking about that, you, you just said um, coming from uh, as a black woman in a society mm -hmm. where you know that also there are also other women who are also white who face the same um, oppression as you, but you perhaps see, uh, or feel, um, experience this oppression in a different way sometimes. Uh, Absolutely. Differently. And now, in that, you also mentioned about um, it, it, the same black two black women from mm -hmm. in the same society, but from different um, social class. Right. And they might also share the same space, but somehow one of the one who is more privileged from the other class might sometimes not see the same position as the other black woman that they are fighting together with. What do you say? For example, my situation here in Denmark, I think that this really um, is a good illustration. I'm American. Yeah. So I, ha I have a certain privilege mm. as opposed to a lot of, you know, a woman who's here as in a, uh, with a refugee state uh, status. Yeah. So, you know, compared to a woman w who has a refugee status, let's say a another black woman, I'm way I have many privileges that she does not have access to. And the privilege would be, of course, um, accessibility yeah. in terms of um, opportunity. Mm. But personally, I think we need to be careful about this because I don't personally think it's a privilege to be able to engage with the powers that be, because I'm not trying to accumulate wealth. I'm not mm. trying to be um, a, a well-functioning member of a capitalist society. Yeah, that's yeah. not so. So to me, it's not a privilege. Mm. But but in the everyday life, it is a privilege because I have access to jobs, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which enables me to pay my rent. Mm, right mm. to buy food and very the, these are very basic things yeah. i mean at the end of the day people need to eat mm. and they want to be engaged in a in a action that is fulfilling <laughs> right yeah so at the end of the day that becomes a privilege in this society right yeah that i'm able to engage in and that unfortunately and even a man who's here on refugee refugee status I, although I'm a black woman, and in many other scenarios, I may not be as privileged as a black man in this situation because of the history of racism and how it is gendered. Mm -hmm. I, as a black woman, am, am, am suddenly uh, occupying a space of privilege. Mm. Did that answer your question? Yeah, you did. Because that also mm -hmm. came up uh, sometimes along the way where we were also having this same discussion about working together. And by the sense of um, on the, uh, feeling that one has the privilege to or access to the system, mm -hmm. that they, mm -hmm. they somehow get overworked. 
because they are in that position mm -hmm. of let's say access or privilege and right many of the times we or some people who are not who do not have the same access to the same privilege also feels like they have the responsibility to do these things because they have the mm -hmm. access and the privilege so sometimes right. this becomes a conflict within the group um right what 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 do you say to this kind of um um, situations, for instance, because there's a question between our groups. Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, people, we ought to be clear w within uh, whichever group we're a part of about what we're striving for, because um, as a black woman, no matter what your privileges are, when you're, when you're engaging with whiteness, mm -hmm. you are still... Um, you know, uh, you're, you're still a black woman, meaning that you are still, um, erased and silenced. Uh, your, your labor is often under, it, it, it's not valued. It's, although it's depended upon, like Alice Walker said, uh, wh white women would not have been liberated if it wasn't for black women taking care of their children, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, we are, I mean, my health is, uh, I think you speak to a lot of black women. Uh, you will see that we suffer from very similar um, health issues, yeah. and it's not uh, by coincidence. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very toxic environment being in a, in whiteness. Um, so I think it, the group has to be clear about what they are striving for, meaning that I am not trying to get a one-up here in this capitalist society. I'm not trying to get a picket fence house with two dogs and a and a, mm. you know, Volkswagen, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm trying to create a vision that I have been born with that I feel very strongly about where it is possible for me to determine for myself what my destiny is and what, and that black people and all people will actually be in a position to determine for, for themselves, ourselves, self-determination, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. how we want to live. I want to be free of this capitalist society, this sick system. That is killing me, and it's killing us. Yeah. So for me, I, I mean, I'm not working with a group who's trying to, you know, again, you know, be a part of this system. I, I, it's sick, especially when it comes to uh, race and gender. Yeah. So this, what you heard, was the first part of an interview with um, Leslie Ann Brown. And this is the Bridge Radio sending live from FSK. Before we continue with the second part of this interview, um, we will be hearing a song by Toria Alice Coltrane, who is an American jazz pianist, organist, harpist, singer, compose, composer, and Swamani. <laughs> So here you have it. Thank you. 
Yeah, we are back. This is the Bridge Radio. And um, that was a nice song by an American jazz pianist. We just heard Alicia Coltrane. And um, now we are going to be going back to the second version of the interview, where we are still going to be continuing the discussion on um, intersectionality and how they do. So you also, this is the continuation of the interview from Leslie, and uh, you'll be hearing that in a minute. And Leslie and Brown, just for those who entered, Leslie and Brown is a educator um, and a writer, an activist who is based in these times in Copenhagen. So here it comes. What we also wanted to ask you is how, <laughs> or if you see, like, uh, like, why intersectionality is in important to think at the core of how we think and organize social our social struggle struggles. Yeah, well, I think that um, you know it has to do with people understanding um, other people, seeing, having experience, uh, having experience. What other people, uh, what other people experience, uh, meaning that uh, walking in other people's shoes, and I think the problem with whiteness is that it doesn't uh, consider what the various um, oppressions can be, because it has never experienced them, and I, and I think in that way, the the when we talk about intersectionality, it has to be, um, you know, I think it's the burden is on whiteness to understand yeah. the many different mm. levels of oppressions because we know this we live this we it's it's um you know Kim, Kim, Kimberly Crenshaw put a name to it you know mm. and that but but you know that's just the she articulated it but you know it's been going on forever <laughs> mm. at least in the dawning of modernity because modernity is founded upon the oppression of black and brown people So, you know, I think as a black woman, I, I'm happy that there's a, a term for it. But for me, it, it's, I don't feel like I'm the one who needs to be talking about it, yeah. you know? Mm. But there, there are many, I, this is also when we talk about like healing and finding mm -hmm. ways to go along together. I think mm -hmm. it's very important that we somehow find means to talk about this, to understand it. Because yes. without understanding this different intersectionality, where they do intersect, um, where somehow we can take into account, let's say, as you mentioned earlier, um, being in the position of being a, a, an African-American and a, mm -hmm. a, another woman being in the position of a refugee African, mm -hmm. it, it's perhaps not really going to be the same um, view that you're viewed with when you come into a group of right. white people. The understanding of uh, how you are, or let's say a, a feminist uh, white group, they will probably mm -hmm. view you with a bit of dignity because of your national um, status. And Absolutely. 
have the one for a, a woman who is a refugee, even though maybe you do the same things, maybe you offer mm-hmm. the same value to the group, but her struggle, her work, it's going to be not viewed the same. How do we understand these different intersectionalities? How do we know when they do? How do we work mm. together in order for it to be more of... Mm. Um, um, how do we take it into account? I really want the groups that yeah. work against, let's say, anti-fascist, anti-racism, um, mm. against uh, the uh, opposing of migration, against gender, all of this, we have to, I think we really have to take it into account uh, when mm. we talk about intersectionality in, in the groups. Um, so what's your own view? What's your advice, if, you, if I may ask? The, regarding the scenario that I walk into a room and I'm uh, I'm looked at differently than a sister from an African country, yeah. you're asking me. Yeah, um, yeah I just, um, I mean, if you're African-American here, I can speak about this, my experiences here. Mm-hmm. here and, and I'm, actually, it's funny because I'm not, I'm African-American in a way that I'm from the Americas, as uh, Teju Mm-hmm. Uh, talks about um, because my family is from the Caribbean, yeah. so my my lineage is actually not in uh, in America. And I just say that, and I say that out of respect mm-hmm. for actually African Americans, because I think people don't understand here how difficult it has been for African Americans. If you mm-hmm. look at historically what African Americans have gone through, yeah. and you look at what you know, a, a woman in. Uh, you know, perhaps, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say, um, I, I, from another country, Afri- a woman of African descent from another country, yeah. you would you would learn that <laughs> the situation of an African-American woman is actually not that more, is not more privileged, no. ac- actually. So I say that because um, <laughs> I just want to really give that respect where yeah. it's due. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's... Um, you know, I'm, I've always been more palatable to whiteness mm-hmm. uh, in America precisely because I was an African-American. And it's, it's just kind of the Obama effect, you know. Yeah. Uh, Obama was more acceptable to whiteness because he was not African-American. People mm-hmm. really need to understand that. Um, so for me, I think what's really important, what I have experienced, is that being here, when uh, when I meet whiteness, uh, whiteness responds to me as an honorary white person mm-hmm. until I let my politics be known. Okay? Mm-hmm. So because I'm American, that allows me, they, they, they really are not, you know, they think I'm a member. They immediately, most of the time, accept me into that club. Mm-hmm. If it's if I don't racialize it, mm-hmm. you know, I will mm-hmm. always be the one to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a privilege there until I open my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's right? also it, because without talking about this uh, and understanding this difference, as you said, the the women from uh, African Americans are not also mm. that much, so much this privilege, uh, or no, not so much privilege as we might assume because of their nationality and the mm. national state quote of what privilege they have uh, or what mm. assets they have. We then we might lack, we might somehow lack the understanding what the suffering of the other sister is going through or the other brother is going through, in the sense that we might think they are privileged, but they are not privileged, right. and. I think if we div- in these different positions somehow, if we understand it, then the process of healing might be possible. The process of understanding us and accepting these different roles and playing these different roles with clean mm. minds will be possible in the groups. 
mm-hmm. and without reproducing and I think, again. Yeah, and I think um, for me, you know, in relation to being in this room, and then there, you know, with a, I'm there as a African American, let's say, quote unquote, and then there's a, a sister who say, let's say, from Somal. Somalia or mm-hmm. Eritrea or Ethiopia, mm-hmm. I think what what I've noticed is that um, it really should not be of any surprise, but, you know, Europe really, um, you know, or the West still um, d- doesn't value uh, any, you know, anything that comes from Africa, um, uh, ironically enough, because that's where the, Europe's wealth is from, right? Mm-hmm. From its people to the, mm-hmm. to the minerals and the resources, mm-hmm. it's... Um, there's a socialization that we know that takes place in the West, which uh, dehumanizes someone if uh, they are, you know, having a certain accent or coming from a certain country or a certain part of the world. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, you know, what's important that I do is that uh, I open the door or I, I, I show, I, I point. Oh, I point to that woman mm-hmm. who is usually probably more educated than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Could be, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, that's what I think um, we have to do. You know, we have to actually support each other and, and make room for each other, which is a very tricky thing to do because part of our, our Western uh, way of being is ego, Mm-hmm. And especially in the activism group, what you see is that people want to become these activist stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, they want to be the leader, yeah. and you know, the, a de- having a decolonial uh, viewpoint to all of this. There is no leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's what we need to neutralize. Mm-hmm. So it's really important, and that's why I do think you know I, I wrote the other day that the most dangerous uh, thing to this white capitalist patriarchal system is the black woman. Mm-hmm. And I believe that because I really believe that, you know, black women, we are the biggest threat because we are the most oppressed. It's, it's ridiculous. It's amazing what we have to go through. Um, it, I mean, even with me and writing, you know, it's like I got a book published and people may say, wow, that's great. Wow, Leslie has a book published. But I know if I was a man mm-hmm. and I was doing the work that I, uh, I was doing, whether I was a white man mm-hmm. or maybe, uh, you know, a black man, mm-hmm. you know, my publishing story would have been Quite very different. different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. These, so these... the struggle that I have, or even with people calling, you know, you want to talk about... Um, activism and, and, and intersexualities and mm-hmm. what we can do to work better because we live in a capitalist society and we need to eat and we need to pay our rent. When white institutions, even if they're not for profit, when they rely on the labor of black women, that's problematic, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times these white people have funding. They know how to get the funding. Their rent is taken care of. Their food is taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. But we're foreigners here, and we don't have access. And my situation is not as dire. I'm, I'm you know, I'm thinking about other people too, mm-hmm. who, you know, aren't here as American citizens mm-hmm. or on a refugee status, and and being asked to do things, or even asking me to do things. Mm-hmm. And I get that we this whole idea of volunteerism, and you know, I get the importance of that. Yeah. But it becomes very ironic when you when you within this capitalist context Hmm. and when you think about black female labor and what it has meant in keeping this capitalist system going Hmm. 
Yeah, this this very nice um, answer actually your way of answering you actually brought up because it's also like um, points directly to almost the same thing that is the root of our problems somehow mm. that we do not understand between each other that we are in a many ways let's even say we are against capitalism we are against oppression mm. we are against um, um, discrimination but so many mm -hmm. times even within the activist group we do the same thing just mm. because oh we reproduce these oppressions yeah horrible yeah mm -hmm. so and it's it sometimes even more much difficult to try to pass the message to the same activist mm -hmm. who is with you fighting for against um oppression for instance or against right. capitalists and when they are right. doing the same thing and you're trying to yeah. say hey I, I see it this way or you're doing this uh, they always do not see it sometimes i call it mm -hmm. ignorancy without being mm -hmm. able to look at yourself and say well this is actually what i'm fighting for for real and right. what i'm against yeah, this is why I think, um, Steve, uh, because I've just gotten to this realization in my life where it's not politics that's going to save us. It's actually spirituality, and I'm not talking about religion. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is spirituality. It's really, really doing the work, the inner work and the outer work, mm -hmm. because it, it, this whole political spectrum, it's, it's ego-based. I mean, politics is not going to save us. Mm -hmm. So how do we somehow put both healing each other and uh, mm. being somehow mi mixing spirituality with mm. activism in the sense that we can take care of each other spiritually mm. and mm. Uh, even physically if possible uh, just to yeah. add a, a helping hand just to keep each other going how do we do that yeah well that's a really great question um and i think that's also where decoloniality can uh or decolonization can play a part is actually looking back into our various cultures where we come from, especially as African diaspora people, and finding what our ancestors did. For example, I, I've come across this um, this sort of uh, healing, this counseling um, that this German man he wrote an entire book, and it's this whole system. Uh, it's called Constellation Counseling, hmm. and it's a big thing. And lo and behold, when you dig in deeper, you find out that he got it from South Africa. Yeah? Mm. Mm. So we have the tools in our heritage, in our various lineages and heritages, but we need to go back. It's like Sankofa, the bird. <laughs> you have to go back, fetch from the past mm -hmm. what we need so we can go forward. And this is part of our liberation, because mm. we have to liberate ourselves from this sick system, this whole site, like, you know, the, 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 how they have um, compartmentalized our, you know, our psychological health, for example, mm. you know? Mm. I mean, many of us that, you know, it's epidemic because the system, this is what it's made, made mm. to do. It's made to make us mentally sick. Mm. And actually, when, you know, you go into that and you understand, you begin to understand what that means, you realize that it's actually a spiritual problem. You know, it's it's a it's breaking our spirits, mm. yeah. And when we when we get in touch with that, and we realize, you know, when we start looking at our own lives and start recognizing the patterns mm. and recognizing the roots and recognize and doing the work, we have to do it simultaneously. That is our inner work and the outer work. You cannot, I cannot heal someone else, and someone else cannot heal me. Mm. I can only heal myself, but I do need the support of a community. I can't mm. do it alone. Mm. Mm -hmm. Now we are going to 
wait a little bit uh, with the last conversation with her and we are going to be bringing you Asha. She's a Nigerian um, musician and she is also a musician who is against war and oppression and so we thought this music was very important for also our program today. So here you are, Asha, Fire on the There is fire on the mountain And nobody seems to be on the run Oh, there is fire on the mountain top And no one is running I wake up in the morning Tell you what I see on my TV screen I see the blood of an innocent child And everybody's watching Now I'm looking out my window And what do I see? I see an army of a soldier man marching Across the street Hey, hey Mr. Soldier Man Run, run, 
Wishing we had pulled out the fire We are back to the studio and you're still listening to the Bridge Radio from FSK and we are still on the conversation of working together and intersectionality and the next part of our last um, interview with Leslie, we are going to play. And um, once again, just to remind you, we she has a book out that also describes a lot of her visions called The Colonial Daughter, a letter from a black woman to her European son. And um, we also urge our audience to find a means to read her book and share with her wisdom because we really believe she has a lot. And that's, we are going to play the last vision, uh, version of the interview, and um, here it comes. Also, when talking about, with, about healing, um, mm. because I think I definitely agree with you that there is a lot of healing that needs to happen yes. uh, in different ways. So mm. um, I would just pick I mean, I think with white women, it's so interesting. I mean, I keep on saying this point over and over again, but I will say it until, you know, I die. But when you look at how European women have been treated historically, you know, mm. and I'm talking mm. about hundreds of years of being murdered. Like, they did that here in Europe. They murdered women for hundreds of years. Mm. Like, you, you know, that needs to be healed mm. and mm. confronted, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's also one of the things, because I, I think it also plays quite a role, let's say, but gender and um, uh, let's say feminism as as a whole, where we talk about mm. the lack of understanding, for instance, as a, a black African who has mm-hmm. come from a different um, a different background, and then mm. coming into the activism space, whereby mm. you feel many of the times that people have to understand your own struggle and not mm. actually paying attention in trying to understand what's the women's struggle that they are talking about. Mm. And, and this, mm. this is also part of the things that also many of the times, let's say, sometimes we, uh, people who are oppressed, sometimes somehow also produce uh, oppression within the groups that sometimes make Absolutely. conflict. So, yeah. I'm also very wary in trying to talk about this so that we within the groups might also try to understand and be able to grow uh, in the sense of understanding that the the women's struggle in general, even though it's differently categorizing when you talk about African-American mm. uh, or African mm. or a white mm. woman as it is or a Muslim mm. woman, all these things are different um, struggles, but at mm. the same time, the same struggle. But we should not overlook it sometimes when we talk about like women's struggle because one might be going through more than uh, one might be going through a, a lot of um, discrimination than a lot of yeah other you people don't yeah going through so uh, I would like 
you to maybe if you have an experience about mm -hmm. this, for instance, where um, a black man himself doesn't understand how he's reproducing the um, oppression of a black woman in the same group, why they're fighting for the same thing. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I had, I, I've had a, an, an experience here where, you know, I was working with an activist group and it was very male-dominated and it mm -hmm. was very, very chauvinistic and um, it was very, um, it was very toxic. Mm. And, um, and I couldn't understand what was going on because um, it was so, it was actually, it, it reminded me of something from my childhood uh, because my father was very toxic. Mm. <laughs> So what I did subconsciously was um, I, I put up with it because mm. I thought I had to as a black woman and they were black men and I had to support them and I had to, you know, and do all of that much to, you know, my own detriment. Mm. And I think as women and particularly, you know, in this case as a black woman, we have to, um, you know learn uh we have to unlearn this behavior that we have and and when you know of course uh, i had a situation yesterday where um someone told me they just finished my book it was uh the performance artist young song gulak uh she just finished my book and she said to me i'm really i got really jealous reading your book and i was like what <laughs> and she's like yeah because now that um you wrote it I feel like I can't, you know, write something like that. And then we had a discussion. And I was like, well, you have your mm -hmm. own story to tell. And of course she knows that. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was really beautiful about it was how she was able to tell me mm. I felt really jealous. And it mm. was a new, you know, a neutral comment as opposed mm. to not telling me mm. as maybe these two brothers who I'm not saying they were feeling jealous, but they obviously had problems with me, mm -hmm. but they never spoke to me about it mm -hmm. to my face. Mm. So I think the important thing is, is that it's, again, ego. Mm. I think we really need to approach each other with love and compassion, you know, instead of, uh, because this situation that I have with these two men was very traumatic for me mm. in the end. It mm. really destabilized me, mm. you know, and, um, and, and so I ended up getting tre treated worse by two black men than any white person here in Denmark ever mm. treated me <laughs> yeah and then you you also feel sometimes very much even disappointed and it maybe very. fit into this stereotype that says well the white treats you better than the black man we treat you right and then making right. it a whole general in instance without totally. uh, looking at like um the how the system also plays a part in doing or uh, shaping these things um, totally because Yes, there is, in the way I look at it, I do not know the backgrounds of this male, also that I'm also speaking as a male now, so I should not, mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe should be doing that. Um, of course, let me hear what you got to say. <laughs> I, I'm, just say I'm just saying, like, I do not know what their backgrounds might be. And when you mm. talk about, like, jealousy, for instance, some of the times mm. ego, these are the things that mainly play a role in, in like, mm. both our conversation and understanding or even hearing the other person out. Uh, mm. So I just think... Maybe for, for uh, let me just use an example of something I could have experienced whereby mm -hmm. I, I might be very happy that, yes, you wrote a book, and but then these differences of being, let's say, um, 
not being in the same position that the state mm. has given uh, the, the privilege that the state might quote unquote say it's or assets that it says it gives to you that the other mm. black person or the other black male doesn't have instead of right. understanding that this is a, a state or uh, is, uh, how do you, how is this said a problem of the system he right. takes the anger on you for having the privilege right. to be able to have the access to write the book. Uh, instead right. of just saying, well, yeah, this is, I could also do the same thing just like the other woman has just said. I, I could also right. write the same book as you have, but now I feel jealous that I couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, we all feel that. We all feel that. Which you know, is also very un- important to understand. It is. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, I think it's what I loved about the conversation I, I had with Young Son about it was that it really showed me that it was actually okay to that that to to speak these things out loud. Mm. We all feel these 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 emotions, mm. especially within this capitalist system. You know that's what it creates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's very important that we do try to understand this in depth, Absolutely. actually, because there are different ways this. Um, the system, the the roles and privileges it has given different different one of us, even mm-hmm. the ones many of the times as I said who are oppressed as a man, yeah, being an activist, uh, yeah, it, it, sometimes I also feel the or uh, get the criticism of being um, uh, privileged, uh, right, and uh, that I can do many things, and with the whole refugee and migrant mm. struggle, sometimes I can't believe I hear that from someone. Like yeah. a, a white uh, activist saying to me, "You're very privileged to right. be talking about." And I'm like, right. "What are you talking about?" But when I get the exactly. same criticism from a refugee, then I really see it that I'm also privileged in the sense yeah. that maybe I'm able to go out and talk, and uh, he or yeah. she cannot do the same. Um, yeah, and also how to get them along to do these exactly. things. So I do not know what the real answer is, but. Um, I'm also very happy that you spoke with us, Leslie, and mm-hmm. it's been very great talking with you. Really, so thank far. you for having me. Yeah, yeah, you too. I mean, I will have to say thank you to you. Yeah. So I yes. don't know if you have a something you wanted to add before we finish off, or yeah. Well, I just wanted to say that I just think it's really important that we um, don't get attached to how we feel. We have to understand that we, you know. Sp- Specifically in this capitalist system, mm. it really creates a lot of division. Mm. And I think in terms of working together, working with each other, it's important that we realize that, you know, that we, we understand which emotions are rooted in ego, because that's what we want to dissolve. We want to dissolve ego. The West, capitalism, the whole modernity project it's based on ego, and you can say that whiteness is uh, as, um, you know, this researcher in, um, let me get her uh, her name real quick. She was talking about how whiteness was, um, was a form of uh, narcissism, actually. Her name is Rahel Weldiap Sebhatu, and uh, she's an Eritrean researcher, and Mm -hmm. she lives in Malmo area, and we were talking one day, and she's like, you know, that's what whiteness is. It's like, you know, this, uh, nar- it's this extreme narcissism. <laughs> and it's true when you think about it. So this is what we, in, in, in terms of, you know, children of the African diaspora, mm. this is actually what causes the division, and this is what we want to dissolve. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And I also hope yeah. this message gets down to our, all our TV's group. Um, yes. The person you were listening to was Leslie. Uh, one of our 
writers and educators as you had activists also um, in Copenhagen. And uh, thank you very much for coming into our program. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> Have a good you evening. Uh, you yeah. too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, we are back here again. That was the last version of the uh, interview we had with Leslie. And um, now, as you heard from her last point, many of us um, who identify ourselves as activists or social civil rights advocators, we do it for ego some of the times. We do it for personal reasons. And yesterday somehow these reasons I, I i think play a part in how, both how we grew up and our understanding of people we are working together yesterday while we were pro preparing for this program we came across Chid, uh, chidima and Echebe's, um one of her talks which also referred to a single the danger of a single story we believe that many of us have been educated to hear other people's um life or identity as differently and as being separate from us we need to find means to decolonize this we need to find means to not have the same idea in our working groups know that people are not different in the way that our society has taught us people are not different and their work and everything that we want also should as they want should be also be valid as much as they give in the group and not just one-sided we should also try to understand that there is different diversities there are different people from different backgrounds and it cannot be only one way that we have to see people so in this sense we are also advising our uh, listeners to apply the same advice that leslie has just given yeah so we we hope that this talk um could bring some inspiration for groups and people in how to develop an intersectional practice in the group which i think at least it is for us and commenting also on this is like of course here when we are making radio and we're sending radio we can it's speaking and it's thoughts but equally important is very much the actions of how we do this so it's also think about thinking about like not only to have an intersectional intersectional analysis, but actually have a intersectional practice in the groups Which, that, that is takes the most into important, these different uh, oppressions into account like really seriously. Yeah, I think that is a very important thing you said, not just only thinking about it and talking about it, but more importantly, putting it into practice, um, which is one of the things we'll be talking about that brings conflict into the groups. If we only talk about these things, work with it, but do not practice it among ourselves, it becomes a huge problem. So let's be open-minded and uh, we'll be coming back a little bit. Oh, my colleague will have to... Yeah, no, I just want to comment also and raise this that Leslie also Leslie Ann also points out that intersectionality, to understand this, the burden is really on whiteness, which I think is very true and also connects with... Um, in our last program, we had an interview with uh, Julia Suarez Cape talked about how white people or people growing up in whiteness like racialized as white people um, have been taught to be the totality of things but so that's also why on this position it's really where to to learn to listen and to see and to actually understand um, this oppression that exists 
Yeah, and also try to understand that also people have ideas and people, other people have ideas and many of the times they also need to be listened to and taken into consideration. And um, So just finally again, I wanted to point to the book that is coming out by Leslie N. And it's coming out actually in this uh, in May 2018, so very soon. It's co- called Decolonial Daughter, Letters from a Black Mom, Woman to Her European Son. Um, and you can also follow Leslie Ann Brown on her blog that is called Black Girls, Black Girl on Mars, where you can follow her, her writings. Um, yeah. So to that, with this interview, we are going to say, or I'm going to say, we should try to understand that we are all connected and in various ways, and we should try to find means to work together. And now we'll be playing you, you a song from Marian, Mariama Makeba, Pata Pata from South Africa. She was also um, a human rights activist against that was also against appetite back in the days. And um, she was also um, part of the Human Rights Council and um, a famous musician. So here it's Pata Pata.